Good morning. Good morning. Well, we're not going to cry even if we feel like it, but because it has been a beautiful two weeks. Been a two weeks of classwork that has been rather wonderful in bringing to light more clearly than it has ever been stated in the message of the infinite way this entire idea of how to work with non-resistance, resist not evil. And uh, as you know, for many, many years, each one of our classes has really been devoted to a main theme of prayer. I remember in Los Angeles many, many years ago, oh, it must have been in one of the 1950 or 51 classes, that I thought there never would be another class. That was the end of classwork for us. And then, in, uh, while talking on the platform like this, something flashed into my mind and I said, oh, oh, let me, let me correct that. I don't think there'll ever be any more infinite way classwork unless the subject is prayer. It just seemed to flash in that the whole secret of life was bound up in uh, the understanding of prayer, the correct understanding of prayer. And ever since then, all of these classes has had an underlying theme. And that was the word prayer. <clears throat> and it's for this reason. As humans, we have become separated from God. Not that an actual separation has taken place, but a sense of separation. In other words, I and my father are one, is the true relationship of everybody on the face of the globe. But in the experience that in one place is called the fall of man, the departure from Eden. Another place is called that of the prodigal son leaving the father's house. We have the symbolical idea or the idea symbolically presented 
of this sense of separation so that in all of these centuries of which we have any recorded history mankind as a whole has lived a life of his own separate from God even when he was believing himself to be worshiping God and praying to God as a matter of fact it was that very sense of separation that caused man in the first place to invent a God when men began to find unhappiness dissatisfaction incompleteness lack limitation storms droughts floods they began to realize that they had no power to prevent those things they could try they could plant their crops in time and they could go fishing in the right season and they could build their houses in the right places and yet came these too heavy rains not enough rains storms volcanoes wars depredation from neighboring tribes everything beset man to keep him unhappy discontented incomplete unsatisfied and so eventually it was natural that man should turn his eyes to the idea that perhaps there is a supernatural power that would change these things that would protect that would prosper that would cause the crops to be just right and the amount of fish to be abundant and all these other discords changed into harmonies and that which is now called the search for God has been going on ever since and it has been going on in many different ways there were those periods when men created a god of crops and a god of the sea and a god of love and a god of fertility there are almost as many gods as there were human needs and for each need a new god was created however there were places as in India where the idea of one God sprung up one God that would meet all of man's needs and the idea of mono, uh, monotheism the one God spread from India or was carried from India into Egypt where for a short time it was adopted just a few years by King Menotemp IV and he and a bosom companion at the court not only accepted 
and taught the one God, but by decree they ordered one God for their nation and demanded that the people worship this one God and destroy all the statues and all the symbols of these other gods. They legislated one God. Of course, it can't be done. You can educate, and there can be an evolving improvement in consciousness along all lines but trying to legislate a god was uh, only second in stupidity to having a war to free the Negro slaves. You don't free anybody by a war or by legislation. legislation. These things come about through education, outer education, inner education, the inner education is a state of evolution. And uh, it was only a short time, a few years, when King Menetep IV was overthrown, and this bosom friend of his was compelled also to leave the land and flee to Ur of the Chaldees. And there this man who became known as Abraham set up what later became the Hebrew race, a race of people dedicated to the worship of one God. Now the history of the Hebrews all the way from Abraham to Jesus shows you how impossible it is to teach, to instill in people an idea that is alien to them, foreign to them. Yet, if it is persisted in, in the way that it was with the Hebrews, ultimately the idea registers and becomes incorporated as a part of consciousness. So it was that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob taught this one God, but without any too great success in having it maintained for long periods of time. And so the Hebrews would be great worshippers of the one God for a while, and then they would fall into the ways of their neighbors and worship Baal or whatever the particular gods were of the tribes that lived close by them. The entire history of the Hebrew race from Abraham to Jesus is a history of the developing of the idea of one God, watching it temporarily fall away, rebuild again, fall away, until the idea actually was so embodied in the Hebrew consciousness that to this very day the Hebrews are perhaps of all people in the world the only ones who still cling to an absolute 
conviction of one, one God. They deviate never one single bit. They will not have a Savior. They will not have a Messiah. They will have nothing but the one God. And there's no deviation, and there's no dividing of allegiance to that one God, or rather to the idea of that one God. Now, why must these people have a God? Why must all peoples have a God? And the idea is this that as human beings we are insufficient unto ourselves. As human beings we lack the necessary wisdom to maintain our lives harmoniously, peacefully, healthily, progressively. As human beings we lack the love for each other that must be before nations can live together in peace. As human beings, each with a separate sense of self, it is necessary that we adopt slogans like self-preservation is the first law of nature. Do the other fellow before he does you. And in modern slang, never give the sucker an even break. Always, always, it is the idea, regardless of how it's expressed, that in some way I must protect me, or my country, right or wrong, my country. Doesn't make any difference what we do to the country is right. We can be ever so wrong, but it must be my country on top, and even the right country can go down. Very foolish when you think of it in that light, but just remember that there were days when some of our greatest newspapers had that as their masthead. My country, right or wrong, my country. Now, in this sense of lack, lack of completeness, lack of fulfillment, lack of peace on earth, it is the natural thing to ask why, how, how. When, O oh Lord, when? Or is there a God? Is there a power? If there is, how do we reach it? How do we bring it to bear on our individual experiences, on our family experiences, and ultimately on the world's experiences? That is the reason that men had to invent a God. They had to find a something, or at least seek for a something to fulfill their own incompleteness. In other words, what really is, is this. In our union with God, as we were in the beginning, in the Edenic days, we were complete. We were fulfilled. We were harmonious. By the grace of God, everything flourished. By the grace of God, we were healthy, happy, harmonious, at peace. The whole of the story of the Garden of Eden 
is the story of the joy and peace and harmony and wholeness and completeness and perfection that existed in the world of man. Therefore, what the world seeks in seeking God is the reestablishment of that Edenic state of complete peace, complete harmony, when we are not at war with each other but in love with each other, when we do not deprive others but when we share and give others. And uh, man hopes by finding a supernatural power that he will be able to establish that on earth again. Since you already know that there have been as many wars in your time and mine as there have been in times gone by, since you already read the newspapers and hear the radios and know even better than our ancestors did, of man's inhumanity to man all around the globe, it should be clear to every thinker that man in his search for God has been searching in the wrong way and in the wrong place. And he's been searching for something that doesn't exist. He's been searching for some great supernatural power that can make us all behave and then can instill in us something that we haven't got and would be afraid of if it were presented to us. The peace and harmony of your individual experience and of that of the world is never going to be established by the continued search and finding of any supernatural power anywhere in heaven or on earth. It must ultimately be recognized that our need is to re-establish ourselves in our original state, which is oneness with God. Evidently, the thousands of years have proved that it isn't the work of a God to do it for us. It is our work to do it in relationship to our reestablishment of the original relationship of oneness. The Master says, Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Nowhere does he indicate that it is God's responsibility, but our responsibility. Ye shall know the truth. Ye shall love the Lord thy God. Ye shall love uh, thy neighbor as thyself. Ye shall pray for the enemy. Ye shall forgive seventy times seven. Ye shall bring the tithes into the storehouse. Nowhere does he place the responsibility on God for our sense of separation from God, but on us. And to us, is addressed the entire teaching of Jesus Christ. Not to God, 
twice. Now, he has even given us the way, the how, the where, and the when of this demonstration of unity. First he tells us that the kingdom of God is within us, and therefore we can stop right now looking outside of ourselves for some kind of a supernatural power or God that's going to violate its own orbit by doing something for us that we would like it to do for us. And he tells us that the way is prayer. And beyond prayer is action. Now, in teaching the secrets that have been given to all of the God-inspired men and women of all time, we can only teach that which is called the letter of truth. That is, in order to stop that aimless searching for God and that stupid praying to God for something, that senseless wishing and hoping and time-wasting of believing that going through certain rites and ceremonies and forms of worship is going to influence God on our behalf in this life or the next, We must teach that which always has been taught and is now being taught again, namely, not only that there is a God, but that God is the inner self of our own being, not separate and apart from us, not to be worshipped as afar off, not to be prayed to for what we shall eat or what we shall drink or wherewithal we shall be clothed, but actually a God closer than breathing, nearer than hands and feet. Just think what that does to you if you accept that and then relax right where you are on your seat and say, well, that ends that. The kingdom of God is within me, nearer than hands and feet, closer than breathing, in the very midst of me. This prevents this idle daydreaming, these false hopes that some miracle is going to pass and uh, the Lord God Almighty or his messenger is going to come down on a cloud and with princely robes wave a wand and we're all going to run out and kiss the Russians and the Japanese and the Germans and each other. And the lion's going to lie down with the lamb. No, this simple truth of the Master is going to withdraw our gaze from upward and outward and bring it right down to ourself. When it is there, we can take the next step taught by every great master. Seek me within. Seek, knock, plead if necessary, 
but within yourself. Father, reveal thyself. Father, instruct me. And keep the vision to this idea, I and the Father are one. Here where I am, God is. Until through this inner contemplation of the Father within, ultimately, I and the Father mold and melt into one, and that ancient unity is established, that ancient oneness. And now, it isn't only that we say intellectually, I and the Father are one, but I and the Father are one becomes a demonstrable relationship, a visible relationship, and no longer do we seek for favors, no, one, no longer do we have any need of them. Now the spirit within is unfolding and revealing, disclosing itself, acting in and through us. In the same way, we have to go further in our teaching to reveal that there are not two powers in this world. God is the only power. The reason this must be taught, the reason that we must ponder cogitate, contemplate the subject of the one power is because the world has accepted two, a power of good, a power of evil, sometimes called good and evil, sometimes called God and devil, sometimes called immortal and mortal, sometimes called truth and error. The world has accepted that, and so until you and I become so imbued with the idea that there is only one power and that we are not to fear other powers. They have only the arm of flesh, nothingness. We are to live and move and have our being intellectually in the realization God is the only power. There's, there's no powers to fight. That's why we don't have to pray for some great power to do anything. These things that we have considered powers for centuries and for which the world is seeking a God, they aren't powers and we don't need a God for that. There again, by the contemplation of that truth, ultimately there comes at least a measure of realization. There is no power in infection, or there is no power in winds and storms. There's no power and there's no power in lightning, there's no power in the uh, storms, there's no power. The power is in the still small voice. Ultimately, that reveals itself to us. You have the feeling, I shall not fear what mortal man can do to me. I shall not fear what mortal conditions can do to me. There is only one power. So it is with every facet of what you might call the letter of truth. And by the letter of truth, I mean all those things that are written into our 20-odd books and which in no wise are original but have been known to the mystics of all ages and taught by them. Now, at some period or other in this search for God, for the realization of God within us, after we have withdrawn all faith from 
ceremonies, rites, rituals, creeds, sacrifices. After we have given up all faith or belief that there's a power in anything outside of this spiritual kingdom which is already within us, after we have gained a little of the wisdom that the place whereon I stand is holy ground, for I and the Father are here. When that union begins to take place, the letter of truth becomes less important and the spirit becomes the vital thing. And the spirit means the living of that truth which we have heretofore read in books. For two weeks we have been engaged in the study and the application of the letter of truth. We have been bringing to our conscious remembrance the truths that have come down to us from every great mystic every great religious founder, revelator. We have been living with those truths. We have been practicing them. We have been acknowledging, acknowledging them within ourselves until we have come to the point where we have dared to say and you have dared to think it isn't a God I need. It isn't a power I need to do anything to me or for me or in me. Of course there's a God. Only a fool has said in his heart there is no God. But now I know that God is the creative principle of this grand universe and the maintaining and the sustaining principle. But it's not my servant. It's not my tool. It doesn't exist to go around... Uh, doing favors for me. Now I know I can release myself from that and let God be what God is, the infinite wisdom of this universe, the divine love unto all that is. And uh, in releasing myself from any further seeking of supernatural powers, I can now begin to fulfill the messianic message given to us 2,000 years ago. <clears throat> I can accept that God is love and that I have no God, except in the degree that I am loving. Now I can accept the truth that no God can operate in my experience except through love. And uh, I must be the instrument through which that love uh, is permitted to escape. I must put in action the teachings which I have accepted. No more will the commandment, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God, be of any help to you, except in proportion as you are loving the Lord thy God. In other words, here's where I'm trying to take you today. I'm trying to drop you from the mind into the heart. 
with your minds you know the quotation thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and today I'm trying to say that you've been repeating that for 2,000 years and now stop repeating it and do it now bring it down into the heart and see if there isn't something in there that says why should I be walking around saying that you know in the light of this it seems like walking around telling your child that your children every day you know I love you you know I love it isn't that terrible tell your children you love them. you don't have to voice such things you are not telling them you love them you are loving them you are loving them by deed if you're only loving them by word you're not even fooling them they know right well whether it's love or whether it's lip service God doesn't much care whether you love God or whether you pay lip service but your demonstration cares love the Lord thy God has nothing to do with quotations it has to do with a teaching that has to be put into practice if you are still way up here in the mind you're apt to ask the question how if that thought enters your mind rebuke it no one has to be told how to love love is a natural instinct there are ways of loving God without ever voicing that statement but he goes further than that and he says love thy neighbor as thyself and it has come to a place in the activity of the infinite way where I feel that this day should be dedicated to saying to you don't use that quotation anymore don't voice it with your lips unless you are teaching somebody but try to find a way to live that particular commandment prayer as we learned this week from Isaiah means putting it into action but the master had already given us that before we went back to Isaiah to learn it over and over love thy neighbor as thyself do unto others as you would have others do unto you forgive 70 times 7 do not condemn do not judge we've had it there but we've been taking it in the same way the peoples of the world have been taking it for all these thousands of years as if they were pretty words to be recited on Sunday only in these latter days of metaphysics we recite it seven days but not sufficiently do we live it everyone who has ever been touched by a true religious feeling is living it to some extent the point that I'm trying to make is that there is no miracle God except the miracle that becomes evident in our living our oneness with God 
That is where the miracle takes place. There are no supernatural beings or powers to do our work for us. True. There are the illumined of all ages who are available to us to teach us all they know. True it is that there are illumined in this ages in all lands, and they are available to teach us all they know and have experienced, but after we know it, what? To know it with the mind is not to put it into action. It is when it comes down from the mind and reaches the heart that we have the spirit, that we have the love, that we have the life. Now, we will always need the letter of truth for reminders to bring us back to the livingness of that truth. Even after 27 years of this uh, healing work, there are many, many times when I have to sit down and remind myself of these very truths that I am voicing and remind myself of the truths that are in the writings. I know them all just as well as you do, but there are times when they seem, through this sense of separation, to be so far away that I must sit down and remember them consciously. But then, after I remember that the Lord in the midst of me is mighty, then after remembering it, I can sit down to experience it. Sometimes I can't experience it without first reminding myself of it. True, it isn't as often as it was in the beginning. True, it may be necessary for you, or many of you, at this stage to remind yourself to actually sit down and go apart and talk to yourself and remind yourself, what are you looking for? A God somewhere? No, God's in his heaven and all's well with the world. God isn't going to move one step out of its orbit to do anything for you, for me. God is already about its own business. And the Son of God is already about the Father's business. And all that God is, I am. And all that the Father hath is mine. What are you seeking? What are you looking for? One of those old gods up in the sky? One of those old statues that were built to pray to? Kneel down to and hope for? Or am I looking for a man to influence God in my behalf, or a woman? All of these things are being done in the world. I must remember that I am the father of one, and that only in my oneness with God can I have the peace that I desire. Only in the fulfillment of that oneness, of that love that has to exist between God and the Son of God and the Son of God and God. Only in that realization that my Heavenly Father is closer to me than breathing, nearer than hands and feet. Only in the remembrance that it is God's good pleasure to give me the kingdom. Only in that does a love flow out. It seems to be flowing from me to God and from God back to me. That's the seeming. It is the action and interaction within the oneness of my being and in the realization of the oneness of I and the Father, that this love takes place. But when this love takes place, when I feel this oneness, automatically I feel a love for this universe.
I feel an impulsion to tell anyone and everyone who's interested what things I've discovered within my own being, what things I've discovered through my tabernacling with God, with Jesus Christ, with the saints, with the saviors, each of whom has caught this same message of life and of love. Do you remember this? Elisha wanted to succeed to the mantle of Elijah. He wanted to be a great prophet. He wanted that robe of Christliness. And when Elijah was about to rise into higher states of consciousness and more spiritual work, Elisha asked that one favor, that your mantle be given to me. But you see, Elijah was one of the world's very great, very spiritually illumined souls. And he knew that he couldn't give his mantle to Elisha, but that Elisha could earn it, deserve it, be worthy of it, be ready of it. And he told him how. If when I rise out of sight on a cloud, if you behold me as I am, rising on a cloud out of sight, then my mantle shall fall upon your shoulder. You see, Elijah couldn't do it, even for his right hand, Elisha. But Elisha could do it for himself if his spiritual vision could rise so high that he would recognize there is no death, there is no separation, there is only a rising in consciousness. And if he himself could rise that high to see that the one true God is that rising in consciousness to the supreme height, then he himself would be a prophet of the stature of Elijah. And so it was that Elisha did see Elijah rise on a cloud. He was illumined to the extent that he saw the immortality of individual being, the eternality of man in his fullness and completeness by virtue of his union, his oneness with God. You already know that human beings of themselves are nothing, but now you must learn that human beings reunited to the Father within them until they are no longer two but one, that human being is eternal, immortal, and is the Son of God. When the Spirit of God is upon you, then do you become the Son of God. If the Spirit of God dwells in you, then are you the Son of God. And who can do this to you but you? Now, the way that is given to us is prayer. But not the prayer that lifts its eyes to a supernatural being and prays for it to come down out of the clouds and do something. It is an enlightened form of prayer 
such as Elijah taught Elisha. Look up and see if you can behold me rising on a cloud. Lift up your eyes unto the hills from whence cometh our help and see if you can see that the kingdom of God is within you and uh, that the responsibility is on your shoulder to behold a vision and put it into action. Teachers there ever have been, always will be. The illumined that we have always had with us. But the Master says the workers are few. The laborers are few who are willing to become reconciled to God, who are willing to contemplate the soul within themselves, and then let it flow out in deeds of love. If you say you love God whom you have not seen, do not love your fellow man whom you have seen, you are a liar. If the Master had not washed the feet of the disciples, we would never have learned that the function of a master is to be a servant. The function of the illumined is to serve those who do not yet know their true identity. Your function as a seeker after God, your function as a truth student, your function will be not to be a master over multitudes, but to be a servant unto multitudes. It will be your function not to take from the multitudes, but to give unto the multitudes. Certainly, certainly it is true that the bread that we cast upon the waters comes back to us. True it is that in our service of sharing the spiritual word with those who seek it, that our own supply is met. We never have to take thought for our own supply and very little for our own health. Those things come as a reflect action of our own serving. But one thing is necessary. Remember, do not cast your pearls before swine. Do not go out and preach the word to those who do not want it, who are not ready for it, even if they're members of your own family. Remember that you are sent only to those of your own household. Remember that Jesus did not go out of uh, the Hebrew race to give his word. They were the ones who were already prepared by virtue of the fact that they were already at least intellectually worshipping one God, there'd be no way to go out to those pagans worshipping dozens of gods out in space and trying to tell them of the kingdom within. First, there had to be a sufficient preparation by being prepared to the extent of knowing there's one God, then the master could come and say, now I'll tell you where to find that God. The kingdom of God is neither low here nor low there, but within your own being. And how do you demonstrate that God? By love.
love this Lord that is in the midst of thee and demonstrate it by your love for your neighbor. And your neighbor is not only your friends, but your enemies and those that despitefully use you and those that persecute you. He even said that it is better to give your time and attention to one lost sinner than to the 99 who are getting along pretty good as it is. So it is with us. As long as there is an individual, saint or sinner, in any wise reaching out to us, in any ways reaching out to God, it becomes our obligation and our duty to respond. We cannot respond to all on the spiritual level, for they are not all ready for this complete unfoldment of spiritual truth, but because they are our neighbor, we can at least help them on their level of consciousness while they are evolving higher. You see, you cannot legislate God, neither can you compel a person to rise higher than their own state of evolution can carry them. And that is why it is wiser to wait for the one, the two, the twelve, the seventy, the two hundred to come to you and then share this bread of life with them share this wine and this water with them, for they will be able to appreciate its taste. They will enjoy it. They will be able to assimilate it. Don't try to force it on anyone. You're giving them a meat that may be poison to them in their unreadiness. Too many people have tried to legislate religion. Let us not add to the burden of mankind. Let us hold what we have as a pearl of great price. Let us pray in secret. Let us know what we know and show rather by our demonstration than by our words. Then, when someone who isn't hearing the outer word and is not being attracted just for loaves and fishes, but someone who innerly perceives the nature of our being comes and asks for bread, wine, water, life eternal, let us share it to the fullest extent of our ability. Now there's no one within range of my voice who does not know enough of the letter of truth to share it. There's no one within range of my voice who has not enough of the spirit of truth to be able to give help. When you are called upon, it isn't necessary to turn your friend over to someone else. You have love in your heart. You have the desire for them to be free as you are free. Then accept that call. Retire within your own being because you're not going to be called upon to fight some terrible enemy in the form of sin, disease, or death. You're not going to be called upon to do something that's greater than your understanding. You're only being called upon 
to sit peacefully and quietly until you feel the Spirit of the Lord God upon you and then voice anything that comes to your lips or voice nothing. Love is the answer. The love of God, the love of truth, the love of our neighbor. In the old way of worshiping God, even the one God, people have been prone to sit back in a church or at home and hear these great beautiful truths and expect some kind of great blessing to come to them. They've either expected it from the supernatural being or because they made a contribution to the church or a sacrifice or a fast. Now we will know this. There are no such supernatural beings. We must release the power of love within ourselves. We must be up and doing. And from this time forth, it will be the function and the mission of the infinite way to reveal that God is experienced in proportion as God is expressed. God is experienced in proportion as we allow God to flow out from us in the form of love, in the form of truth, in the form of service, in the form of dedication. Furthermore, that we do know now how the power and presence of God is to be made available on earth as it is in heaven. It is by our experience of conscious union that calls for as great an effort and wisdom as Elisha used in beholding his master rising. Or the disciples who witnessed the transfiguration. The master was capable of transfiguration but there was something on the part of the disciples necessary because the master couldn't reveal transfiguration he could experience it the revelation had to take place in the consciousness of those who were present to witness it in the self-same way many miracles might take place in this room and only those would be conscious of them who were themselves sufficiently attuned to behold it. Do you have eyes and do not see? Do you have ears and do not hear? The miracle of transfiguration is awaiting your beholding. It is taking place in this world every day, every minute of every day, and at the very place where you are standing, here, there, or another place. It is only up to you to open your eyes to behold what is forever taking place. The transfiguration is not an experience merely of 2,000 years ago, nor is the crucifixion, nor the resurrection, nor the ascension. Those are experiences that are happening 
every moment of every day wherever there is an illumined soul to behold this very place upon which you stand is holy ground if you have the vision to behold Elijah rising if you have the vision to behold the master in the experience of transfiguration if you have the vision to behold the resurrection if you have the vision to behold the ascension it is all up to you it isn't up to a God it is up to you it is up to me to what degree do we want to see Elijah rise to what degree do we wish to see actually witness transfiguration to what degree do we want to know the experience of resurrection and ascension to that degree will we experience it the means of it prayer the prayer of inner contemplation the prayer of inner meditation the prayer of expectancy that is always knowing that at any moment the father is revealing itself in every moment the father is revealing itself and then rising out of our chairs and acting out the mission of love and the mission of service and the mission of gratitude let us step on.